0: Podcast that strives the right balance of coverage for games to play at your table and on your television. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle Hyman, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the solid snake to my Raiden, Josh Borboni. How are you doing this fine evening?
1: I am doing great. What a compliment. Uh except you get to star in the the better uh one of the better of the games. So well, I
0: I had to use that because the only Metal Gear game I've played is Metal Gear Rising: Revengeance. Ooh, so I had, to, I know. Wait a I know. second,
1: that's I, the only one you played?
0: Yeah, it's the only one I've played. Oh boy, it, more than like ten minutes of. So. And that's the
1: only one I haven't played.
0: Oh really? Okay. Well, <laughs> putting us together, then we got the series covered. But hey, <laughs> we also have a very special guest this month—the designer of many acclaimed board games, such as the Century series, Foundations of Rome, Specter Ops, Reef. And the recently re-revealed Metagear Solid the board game, Emerson Matsuchi, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing tonight?
2: I'm doing great, thank you, and thank you for having me on the show again.
0: Yeah, I looked back, and the last time you were on was April of 2019. Mm. So it has been a bit. It has been a bit. So yeah, we're, we're thrilled to, to have back. you
1: back. Yes, yeah, it's great to be um, so. Man.
0: All right, so. We're a little bit of a different show uh, this month because, you know, since we've changed to monthly due to scheduling and all the dumb stuff I'm doing, uh, we're going to You gonna say have, dumb you know,
1: stuff, getting your doctors is dumb.
0: Well, you know, I, <laughs> it has definitely limited my time and many of my <laughs> things I'd like to be doing. So, like this like, podcast more often. Yeah. Uh, but we are just going to talk a bit about what we're playing and then we're going to talk to Emerson and get some updates from him on everything that's going on so we're just going to jump into some housekeeping so thanks so much for joining us this week everyone as always if you have any feedback questions or suggested topics hit us up at board with vg on twitter or x or whatever it's called now uh or check out the (laughs) awesome stuff we'll be posting over on the instagram also board with vg we're proud to be part of the place in video games podcast family and we encourage you to check out all the shows like the psvg podcast the nintendo shack psxp maybe one day again dollar cinema You never know when a new show might pop up, so be sure to stay tuned to all of your favorite PSVG podcasts to stay up to date. We're also a member of the Dice Tower podcast network. So if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower podcast archive as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that's right for you. So to start things off a little bit, you know, behind the scenes stuff, Emerson, you talked about how busy you have been. But have you had the chance to play anything lately? What have you been playing?
2: Okay. So, the most recent uh, uh, video game that I have played is a game called mm-hmm. Vampire Survivors. I'm not sure if
1: you've oh, yeah.
2: heard of it. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I've been definitely enjoying that quite a bit. Um, it is something that uh, a friend of mine had uh, told me, hey, I should look into this. So I started playing it, and it is it is sort of like my now go-to uh, time killer.
1: Yeah, that'll kill some time real quick. You won't even notice.
0: Yeah. Or time kills you in this game sometimes, right? Anything else that you've been playing than Emerson?
2: Oh, uh, let's see. Besides, besides that... Uh... Gosh, uh, I'm always a big fan of Monster Hunter, so whenever I do get free time, which has been quite sparse lately, but uh, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak has always been sort of like the the game I was playing prior to Vampire Survivors. been playing that.
0: Do you think that's a good entry for the the new Monster Hunter player?
2: It is. I know that it is a topic that is quite
0: um,
2: contentious. I think there's a lot of people who say Monster Hunter World is better You have your old school old schoolers who are going to say that Monster Hunter Generations or Monster Hunter Four or even Monster Hunter Tri, but I think Monster Hunter Rise is a great starting point uh, for for new players. Mm -hmm. Um, It is it is more it's it's a more faster action game. There's uh, less um i think the pace of it is quicker so if you enjoy if you enjoy the idea of monster hunter but you like a quick playing game i i say it's it's a really really good fit uh i think that monster hunter sunbreak in terms of like if i were to look at it just strictly on mechanics i think it is the the superior game because of all the different like gameplay options all the different types of abilities uh so if you if you like um, customizing your character and tinkering with like different abilities and different synergies and things like that, then I think it's by far the the best one in the series.
0: Awesome. Monster Hunter is that series that uh, I one of those series that I always really want to start playing, but then I get very overwhelmed and intimidated by the idea of actually playing it.
2: <laughs> it is. It's a tough one to get into, but I think once you do get into it, it is an incredibly rewarding, but the, that barrier to being able to like really start to enjoy it and get into it is fairly steep. I remember when I first got into Monster Hunter World, uh, it was it was incredibly overwhelming because it didn't really hold your hand very much. So I I remember spending a lot of time just looking up tutorials, videos, beginners guides, and so forth. But once once I got into it, then I was absolutely hooked with it.
0: Awesome. All right, Josh, what have you been playing, sir?
1: Oh, you know, a little bit of this and that. Uh, so since we're on vacation, I, I brought the Xbox this time. And knowing my brother and my cousin were going to be around, I'm trying to think of like, hey, what are good like, like four player games? So I installed all these games, uh, of none of which we played, <laughs> uh, of course. Um, but we did end up... Uh, this is kind of a nostalgia thing for us. Like growing up, we grew up very close to my cousins, almost like siblings. So FIFA was one of those games we we would just sit down in our room for hours playing like FIFA. I don't know, thirteen or something like that. Um, and because of Game Pass, I had access to FIFA twenty three, um, and I was like, well. I keep getting all these ads for uh, EA uh, football club 24. So might as well jump in on FIFA before it's gone and play that for a little bit. I know it's essentially knock on just a better rebranding for them, but uh, had a real, like a real blast playing it Uh, pretty easy to pick up the controls. Uh, You know, there's still so much room for finesse and how, how you can actually play that game very well. And, I will admit I don't. I didn't play it very well, uh, but I had a, a blast playing it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, just kind of moving around that field and and getting better at like I mean it's a passing game essentially, right? Passing back and forth upfield as much as you can, and uh, and playing defensively is is a blast as well. So uh, if you have Game Pass, it's an easy. Like recommendation for. a quick they actually sped the games up a lot i remember playing fifa games a while back and they just took so long and these games move at a really quick pace so uh it's you could play a match in like 20 minutes i think it was which is great if you want that i know you can set them longer but 20 minute game for fifa uh is nice quick and we ended up kept going one more one more one more. We had to cook dinner, but we're like, what? oh, my brother's like, one more. Okay. All right. We'll keep going. Um, we did play some Street Fighter 6 as well, uh, which I hadn't played against anyone locally. So that was a lot of fun. It also brought back that nostalgia of playing a fighting game uh, with your brother or cousins and, and uh, just kind of razzing each other as you're playing through. So that was like a couple of good nostalgia kicks while we were there.
0: So, Josh, I do have to know. Yeah, <laughs> do you destroy your family members in fighting games? Like do you destroy me in fighting games?
1: I, I don't say this. Um, I don't say this and get pleasure out of this, but I, I let them win a lot because I know <laughs> that they won't play anymore. If I beat them every game, they're not going to play anymore, right? I mean, I feel like. I I let him win. Uh, well, I sometimes. appreciate you
0: never let me win. That's very kind of you. <laughs> no, no,
1: I have to. Uh, yeah, if you were my brother, I think it'd be different. But um, we play so few and far between. I have to. I have to beat you every time we play. <laughs> uh, Star Wars Genesis Survivor still playing it. I just want to touch on that quick. Um, I'll also quickly touch on Diablo Four while I. I'm still playing it. I did start a seasonal character because I know that people are kind of up in arms about seasonal characters and they didn't really know what they were getting into, uh, but this isn't new for Diablo. Diablo 3 had seasons as well. I uh, see. I saw a lot of... In fact, I'm off Twitter now, by the way. Um, I deactivated my account. Uh, but I saw a lot of people complaining on Twitter about um, these seasonal characters going away and all this kind of stuff. And I really look at it this way. It's a great way to skip all the cutscenes, try a new character, and get new gear, right? It's just a fun way to play Diablo. Uh, and now I'm going to use it to figure out which character I want to play next after I complete my Druid, which is my main non-seasonal character.
0: And this season is when they released the Battle Pass too, right?
1: I th- you know I I think so I'm totally ignoring the battle pass okay, that was um because I'm still mad about that if I'm going kind to of be a mad gamer guy that's what I'm going to be mad about Diablo should not have a battle pass um but that's because I've been playing Diablo since ninety whenever whenever it came out ninety six um yeah so still loving Diablo and then lastly um someone dropped a message in our Discord. Uh, about the Humble Bundle games for this past month, which I had deactivated my Humble uh, because I have so many PC games I never play. But Outer Outer Worlds was on this. And now that I have my Steam Deck, but I don't have Game Pass on my Steam Deck, I don't have access to a lot of games I wanted to like maybe play portably. And Outer Worlds was always one of those games. Um, And I know it's made by the Fallout people, which has a stigma to it, like, hey, it's Fallout, maybe in space, maybe. Uh, I'm playing this a ton on my Steam Deck, and after I was getting a lot of crashes, a lot, and then I got some notes about changing on Steam Deck. You can change the some of the software they use to launch the games, so all I have to do is change that to a different. Um, I don't, I don't know the technical word like type of platform launcher they call it proton on the steam deck so i had to change that and i haven't had a single crash which is nice it looks great it runs great and i honestly think for me this is like mass effect this is more like mass effect than it is like fallout uh the campaign the companion system is great there's companion quests um that you can focus on if you want. I focus so much to the point where I can't even progress in my companion quest because I haven't gotten a planet I need to go to. Uh, the dialogue options are very interesting. Uh, you can uh, really uh, make yourself a villain to a, a, a like important characters. You can kill important characters. And you kinda of have to deal with those repercussions. And and right away the first quest you have is very like, do you help these people or these people? And no matter what, you don't think you're making the right choice. And what and it reminds me of uh the Geth mission in Mass Effect, where you're like with the geno- not the geth, sorry, the genophage, where you know what you're gonna do is going to hurt somebody, but you're being forced to pick. It really reminded me of that. So I'm having a ton of fun with Outer Worlds. Very late in Outer Worlds uh, release. But it also includes the uh, DLC. So I also have DLC that was part of that bundle as well. Um, So I'm really enjoying it. It's been a ton of fun. Uh, So if people haven't played it, that's an easy recommendation for me.
0: Emerson, by chance, did you ever play Outer Worlds?
2: I have not. I've played Fallout, and I do have my eye on Starfield.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. So,
2: so, but yeah,
0: Outer Worlds was one that I was interested in as well.
1: Yeah, it's it's great.
0: I started Outer Worlds. I didn't get very far in it, though. But yeah, the, the
1: first time I started it when it was on Game Pass, I didn't get very far. Um, but I thought the, I had the bright idea of playing it during extra life, and I was falling asleep. <laughs> Well, reading dialogue at 2 a.m. I was like, why don't I start this at 2 a.m.? <laughs>
0: gotcha. Well, anything else you've been playing, Josh?
1: No, but I got about a dozen. T- I got like 20 packs of Magic the Gathering Lord of the Rings Tales of Middle-Earth that are just itching to be built into decks. Uh, maybe I'll be able to report on that next time we record. Probably not, because uh, I think Lorcana comes out next month. But yeah um they they really knocked it out of the park with the art i really like the art style and the cards that they did and 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 reading some of the mechanics i'm so far separated from magic Mm -hmm. that i can't really grasp everything that's on these cards but what i know and what i can see from being familiar uh they did it looks like it's gonna be a lot of fun to play if i if that happens
0: yeah i mean just slightly more complicated than marvel snap right
1: it's a little more complicated <laughs> than Marvel Snap, that's for sure. I did a, I did the day I finally found the packs in the store was the same day the guy found the One Ring.
0: I was gonna, yeah. Um, I, was gonna say, I got sorry, I literally went
1: that. spot spotted them in Target and I was like, oh, I've been looking for these forever. I bought like eight packs, got into my car, and a news break popped up on my phone saying, player finds like literally before you even opened a single pack, player finds One Ring card. And I was like, oh, okay, well, at least I can settle down on <laughs> hoping to find that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I didn't win the billion dollar powerball either. So no, you know, what are you But only do?
1: one person won that too. I know.
0: <laughs> so all right. So for what I've been playing, uh, not a extensive amount of things. I did start uh Final Fantasy sixteen. Uh I'm not super far into it, probably twelve to fifteen hours maybe. Um, so not very deep. This game is some of the most fun I've had gaming and some of the most interesting decisions I've experienced while playing games in quite some time. Uh the, the highs are very, very high. Like There are some moments that are just incredible, that are jaw-dropping, that make you go, wow, video games are really cool. And then there are some that you're just like, why are we still doing this this way? Like, this doesn't make any sense as far as things go. Uh, this, For instance, the side quests are just not great. They're very typical, like, hey, I need six of these branches can you go find these six branches for me you're like yeah i'll go get those six branches and then you load into an area the thing is like 300 meters away that you have to run to you like kill two crabs and get six branches and you got to run back to the other part travel back give them the six branches and you're like well that was fun here's like this you know thing that you can use to craft something later um but the mainline story everything they're doing with you know, the the dominance and the summons and everything that's happening with that is really cool and engaging and interesting. Uh, so kind of the main line, if you just do what the game is asking you to do, it is pretty enthralling. But if you kind of expand out into the other things, um, it does get a little, um, yeah, there's some old stuff there a little bit. What is kind of interesting to me is that, you know, Final Fantasy, really known for being this epic RPG there's not a lot of RPG here. There's very yeah. little RPG so I keep here. Hearing, yeah, yeah. There's. I think God of War had more RPG in it than uh, Final <laughs> Fantasy 16 does. Now, as someone who loves third-person action games, I love that because I. This is like really. It feels like I'm playing a third-person action game than it does, more than it feels like I'm playing. You know, a deep RPG. Um, I haven't like upgraded my weapon or gotten a new weapon in probably like four hours, five hours. Like it's all pretty, very little of, of the RPG element, but the act of playing the combat parts of it the story itself i think are really positive it just is some of, there's just some really interesting decisions around the periphery of how they try to kind of fill this game world um that i don't think always works super great and just keep it from being like you know that next step in gaming when people talk about the best games of the year or the best games of the decade that we've had a number of them in the last two years yeah final fantasy 16 to me is just flirting on that edge there's just enough missteps to kind of prevent it from getting to that next level but i like it enough that i'm definitely going to continue to play it so you know if you've liked final fantasy games eh, i don't know if you're gonna love this one if you like third person action games i think you're probably really gonna like this one uh because it does feel more like playing double may cry or bayonetta than it does feel like you've been playing it's definitely closer to final fantasy 7 remake but even more down the character action path than that game was so um but yeah so i'll keep going there um also jumped into rogue Legacy two. Uh, I love the original rogue legacy. um this came out like really like the same day or just a couple of days before Final Fantasy sixteen did so I did only played it for a few runs uh, but it feels great it just feels like rogue Legacy did, but better um and deeper and gives you more options for things um if you don't recall for rogue legacy, it's a roguelike where you're basically doing your runs going through a castle and every time you die, um you your your next person or the next person that you choose is like the next person in the lineage of your family but they have sometimes some advantages but also sometimes some drawbacks so maybe they're colorblind so like the whole game goes to black and white or that they yeah. have like they earn like more income but they are really really weak Then as a result um so it's just kind of balancing and trying to decide like what type of character do you want what type of run do you want to do um and the what they do that's interesting is that Every time you go back in to do your run, um, the boat person, basically, you have to pay a whole bunch of your money to basically all of your remaining money um, to kind of go back and do your run. So it forces you to, like, pay for things to upgrade. You can save, like, 10% of your money at any given time. Um, but otherwise, you have to, like, pay, use everything to get upgrades, you know, and, and kind of invest into that. So if you have a weak run, especially once you get a little bit farther into the game, you might not be able to do much. And it's kind of almost like, hey, well, let's see if I get something neat, you know, on my next character, but um, still really fun. So if you like Rogue Legacy, I think you're going to like what's here. If you didn't like Rogue Legacy, I don't think suddenly something's different here that's going to make you like it, or if you're not into roguelites, I don't think you're suddenly going to fall in love with this one. Um, Final video game I was playing is... (laughs) This is a game I've been meaning to play for a really long time. So talk about playing like old games. This game came out back in oh, like 2017, uh, but when PlayStation did their showcase and they had Cat Quest Three: Pirates of the Peridian, uh-huh. <laughs> um, I was like, okay, I got to. I finally need to play these Cat Quest Cat Quest games. Um, and then the last sale, PlayStation had Cat Quest and Cat Quest Two were each three dollars. So I was like, well, this seems like the perfect time to jump in. Uh, cat Quest. It's an RPG. You play as a cat um you're running around in an open on on a map that very much you know has like the towns drawn on it and you're just running from place to place <laughs> doing some quests hack and slashing your way through uh this game is amazing this game is so much oh, fun boy. it's like super simple <laughs> like it's way more rpg than final fantasy 16 is like you're getting stuff all the time and upgrading stuff all the time um and you have different ways you can play and you're getting spells and you're like doing all these quests um, and you level up really fast. It's like a constant dopamine hit of like every like 10 minutes your character is getting to another level. I played for like two hours and I'm like level 24 already or something like that. Like constant just hits of like this, like, go do this thing and go do this thing. You're so close to your next level. Uh, it's great. I'm loving it. It's kind of when I sit down to play games. I'm like, okay, I have 20 minutes. I could play Final Fantasy 16. Or I could make a ton of progress in Cat Quest. What am I going to do? Uh, And Cat Quest has actually been winning more often than not. So uh, if you have the chance, I really recommend it. I'm going to play that. And then I'm going to jump into Cat Quest 2 for sure.
1: Well, I own it on on Steam. So I'm installing it now. Yeah, you it on PlayStation 2, just so you know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: uh, Okay. And with that, then, the only board game I've played, actually, uh, was the recently announced Spiel des Jahres winner, Dorf Romantic. Yeah. this, the video game uh, Josh and I talked about previously uh, what it was one of, I think it was one of my top 10 games of the year, the year it came out. I love this video game. I was a little hesitant as to how it was going to translate to a board game, but obviously getting nominated for the Spiel means it must have been okay. So I ordered it, got it in. Uh, I played 15 rounds of it. So obviously it must be pretty good. seems like um, a lot. <laughs> yeah. And so the way they do it, which is really interesting is the game has a bunch of boxes in it. So when you sit down to play, you're automatically playing through a campaign that's based on your score and as you have this like adventure sheet and that once you finish your first round you get a certain number of points you mark this on your sheet and that allows you to check off like tick marks like on this map that you're following and then when you get to certain places on the map it allows you to open boxes or get new cards or get new abilities that you can then use in your next game to then try to get a higher score to check off more boxes and it's just this loop that continually goes through. Uh it's really cool cuz it's cooperative. It plays in 20 to 30 minutes, so it's really really quick. Um and it gives you some choices about what directions you want to go, what items you want to try to unlock. Um it's great. Like it's one of those games that I was pleasantly surprised by. Um I didn't think it was going to translate as well to a, a board game and it, clearly the video game does have far gr- grander options right of like when you're building towns instead of trying to get like towns of 6 which is like the highest or seven is the highest you can get in the board game you know And the video game is like 256 you know it's like pretty different as far as that goes but if you're looking for a light cooperative board game that has some replayability once you play the entire thing and finish the adventure you can 100 put everything back how it was and start completely over again um you can easily add people in the middle if you want to during your adventure so it's not like you have to like start with two people, can only play those two people. If you even want to do it so that you have like multiple different adventures going on with groups, you totally can do that. The game is designed in a way that allows you to do that. Um, It's great. It's really inexpensive. I think it's, you know, some people, there was actually an article the other day, that talked about how the Spiel des Jahres shouldn't no longer be like the preeminent board game award. And maybe it shouldn't be, but I will say in this case, I think they did a pretty good job of picking this one because I think this game is, Can appeal to a lot of people. Um, It's going to be different, I think, for people who maybe aren't super into hobby board games, but could easily be a good um, bridge to help them get into hobby board games. So I think Dorf Romantic as a board game is wonderful. I definitely recommend checking it out if you have the opportunity to. Um, Emerson, have you been able to play the board game or did you play the video game at all?
2: Uh, No, no, I haven't been able to play
0: either. Gotcha. Well, I recommend it. It's pretty great. Uh, The other game then that I was hoping to get played and I just ran out of time Darn pesky homework! Darwin's Journey is set up on my game table, ready to be played. So hopefully next month when we record, I will have a uh, review of Darwin's Journey. I'm really stoked about that
1: one. I'm jealous of the ability for you to set up a game and not have to take it down and just leave well, it.
0: Up. Move to I, the Midwest, Josh. That's where all the people. Every move. time
1: we pack up Frost Haven, <laughs> it's it's just never goes back the same way it yeah. came out. Yeah, let's
0: move to the Midwest. You get lots of space for the same the same amount of money so
1: yeah what's the temperatures out there this week no thank you it's actually like in the
0: 90s this week it's like really warm Oh, it's that's nice. it <laughs> yeah, that's, see that's better it's better <laughs> all right so with that that's everything we've been playing so let's take some time to catch up with emerson as i mentioned last time we had you on the show was april of 2019 and absolutely nothing in the world has really changed since then everything is exactly the same just like it was back then uh, but in all seriousness you've had a couple of releases since then including The massive, in multiple ways, Foundations of Rome, um, and what might be a little bit lesser known title in her story. Um, So if it's cool with you, we kind of like to work a little bit from, you know, the time you've been here, we're last on the show to now. Um, You know, Foundations of Rome was funded in February 2020 with over a million dollars raised on Kickstarter. Yep, Josh's point to, his, point, to point, to his, point to mine. I can point to Emerson's, but you
1: can see his. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
0: and the second printing and expansion has raised almost a million when it closed in August of 2022. So, Emerson, love to hear a little bit about kind of the journey of getting Foundations of Rome to print, and how does it feel to have designed a game that has raised collectively $2 million on Kickstarter?
2: Well, actually, um, I just confirmed this with um, with. Uh, Robert, who's the, the president of Arcane Wonders. And I believe that figure is actually closer. It's definitely more like uh, of the two campaigns because we have backer kits and other
0: mm-hmm.
2: things on the back end. is so that I found out because it seems like there's a quite a substantial amount that comes through back, a uh, backer kit through the late pledges that what, what you see on Kickstarter is actually only it's, it's not the entire picture. So, um, so it seems that it's closer to about three and a half, maybe even four Ooh. million.
1: Good so, gracious! <laughs> uh,
2: so it's something that I can confidently say that I'm quite quite pleased with. So
0: <laughs> that's uh,
1: incredible.
2: <laughs> yeah, so very very happy with that. I can't. I certainly can't complain. <laughs>
0: um. So how does it work for you then, as a designer whose game is being kickstarted by you know? Obviously, you worked with a publishing studio to get this done, like. Once a Kickstarter happens, like what responsibilities do you have? Are you basically done with all of your obligations at that point? Or what's that like for you, like during Kickstarter, like during campaigns?
2: Okay. I mean, that's a really good question. I know that a lot of different designers have like very different experiences when it comes to working with publisher on Kickstarters. Um, I was in my, in my particular case, I was very forthcoming in terms of, Hey, if there's any kind of support that I could give as a designer. Um, And they did reach out to me in terms of some of the stretch goals, uh, so some of the monuments were um, done as part of the process of creating those stretch goals. Um I also worked on a cooperative variant so that the cooperative version of it is one that I created as a stretch goal for for Kickstarter. So my responsibilities didn't end at the start of the Kickstarter, but more it was something that I was providing support for uh the product as they were unlocking more and more and more stretch goals and and so it's but i I feel like this is an experience that i um yeah, that that I gave to myself that i since I volunteered to like you know help support in any way that I can uh but I think that uh, uh I may be wrong, and I'm sure I'll hear from Robert but uh i it didn't seem like they were pressuring me at all to come up with more content and it seems like they were very happy to do to create the content uh if needed. But, you know, I told them I'm happy to work with them on it. And so it's something that, you know, I, I put on myself.
0: So thinking back, you know, like I said, you know, you're on the show April 2019. The Kickstarter happened in early 2020. Like, do you recall like where you were in the process of designing Foundations of Rome? Obviously, it's a Dice Tower Essential. Like, how does that whole process work? Is this something you had pitched? Was this a game you had already worked on elsewhere like how how does that process work for you as a designer trying to kind of make this happen
2: okay uh foundations of rome is actually very atypical in the way that it was conceived all the way to um to its manufacturing and production and kickstarter and everything like that so if i were to go all if i were to go back through the way back machine this would have started around 2016 i believe so uh and it initially started that uh, yeah the origin point for this was actually a space station building game so i was asked to work on a design that arcane wonders was thinking about signing and they said that these uh this pair of designers had this great cool concept for a space station building game but uh, they weren't very good with the math portion of the of the design process or they, they struggled with it a little bit and they were looking for some outside help. So I had someone from the, it was actually Tom Vassell from the Dice Tower that actually reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested on more of a consulting basis to work on this game? And I said, I can never say no to Tom Vassell, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's, such, he's such a charismatic person. So a lovable guy. Uh, So I said, I said, absolutely, I'm more than happy to help. And so I ended up working on it, uh, designing it some, putting in some more um, like family friendly, like Euro style mechanisms, a little bit of set collection, things like that. Um, And it was getting to the point where I was, you know, quite happy with the the direction it was going. Uh, and, uh, And then suddenly the designers decided to actually withdraw. Uh, so Arcane Wonders uh, they they turned down Arcane Wonders in terms of the uh, of the rights to publish the game. So uh, Arcane Wonders and Tom Bassell reached out to me and says, "Hey, you've done all this work already. Can it be salvaged?" And I said, "Yeah, I think we could salvage it. I mean, you know, probably don't want to make it a space station building game, but it, a city building game would work thematically with the mechanics that I have or that I've started with." And so. Uh, They said, yes, well, why don't we see what we can do to salvage that? And uh, over the course of like a year or so, I've been coming up with several different iterations of it. not necessarily iterations. They were actually like almost entirely different games because I tried using like the same core concepts, but implementing them into like different types of games. And at the time that I actually submitted it to Arcane Wonders, the game was called, my prototype was called City 7. And it was because it was like my seventh, like full, different, it was almost like a different game. So it was like the seventh game that was my attempt to it. So, and there was actually a period of time when they were actually entertaining the idea of just calling it City 7. So, uh, but over the course of development, they they asked if there was any kind of more interesting themes. Like city buildings seemed at that time, like maybe it was overrepresented in the, the hobby market so we we looked at different things like uh space atlantis fantasy all kinds of all kinds of things and so but we did end up settling on rome and gosh this was back probably in 20 i think i would like to say like 2018 perhaps maybe 2018 2019 around that it had to have been earlier than that so i think maybe like yeah 2017 2018 around that particular time and so um so once I had pitched them the idea, I had submitted the design and we've gone through all different types of theme theme combinations. Uh, because with each theme idea, we also wanted to kind of tweak some of the mechanics to kind of exemplify those themes. And we finally ended up on Rome uh and then and then for a while i had you know, left it in arcane wonder's hands and they were going to do their own uh testing development and so forth there was a little bit of interaction uh, that i had with them during their development process um I, I my motto has always been like the designer's work is never done until the product actually hits the straw shelves really so uh then the idea of what the production was going to be was was being discussed, and this is where they started to talk about miniatures, right? Having all the buildings be miniatures, and so if I thought that was a great idea, I thought it was going to be quite expensive, right? But because in my mind, when I had submitted it to them, the the box that it came in was smaller than a ticket to right size box. It was in fact, oh, right. uh, it was the size <laughs> of the kings. It was the Kingsburg expansion box. It was like one of those thin boxes. A little bit smaller in dimension than, than the ticket to write It's quite, you know, because it's so thin, it looks like almost like a little miniature pizza box. Okay. So that's why I had submitted it. All of the um, all the tiles were all just cardboard, you know, paper, cardboard. So it's very thin. Uh, money was just all, you know, uh, plastic coins and and so forth. So it's all very rudimentary uh, prototype components. So when they said miniatures, oh, I thought, okay, so it's going to be still within the same size box, but it'll be like small miniatures that get placed on on that. And then at some point, when I met them at Dice Tower East, that's when they actually unveiled their full concept. And it was this gigantic box with these gigantic miniatures. And my my first thought was, okay, so this is the deluxe version. What does the normal version (laughs) look like? So yeah i thought um yeah i was initially like mentally i was i was um very concerned that this approach would be sort of like an overkill like it was something that i didn't think would be well received but after the kickstarter or after you know two kickstarters obviously i was wrong right i when it comes to this kind of stuff i guess i don't have a good view of what the what the consumer community is willing to to spend and what kind of things, what kind of products are they? Do they desire? Right. So it really like sort of reset my expectations and made me realize that yeah, that I don't have, I don't quite have that marketing sense. So, so if I were to ever publish games and sell games, I'm going to definitely need uh, someone who's who's got an ear on the on the grapevine here. I
1: don't think you're alone there. I think that that was that was a big surprise to a lot of people. Um, but I think that. You guys, Arcane Wonders, everyone involved, they did a really good job at getting that stuff out, like getting gameplay out for that game before it got into people's hands. Because I think Kyle and I see a lot on Kickstarter, you see a lot of big games um, that come out with lots of miniatures that keep pushing that, that mark, right? Like what are consumers willing to spend money on? And then you very rarely hear about the gameplay elements of those games. And I think with your game and and us knowing, which will be a question I want to ask about Metal Gear in a little bit, but how we know how you write your, how you get your how to plays, your instructions out, uh, I think that Foundations of Rome really falls really well into that category. Like you look at the size of that box and you go. Oh yeah but by the way you can you only you can play that in four pages of rules. I opened up a kids game and there was 11 pages and I'm like whoa like a minecraft like kids game 11 pages for a kids game is a lot. Uh so knowing that uh and I know Quack Kyle has a production value question for this coming up um but knowing that you like that that was a surprise to you as well, I think, kind of complements both aspects, right? Your your design aspect and the marketing aspect. As like, uh, I just, I really just, I remember Tom in a video saying it was overproduced, and now, me thinking Tom was probably on the ground floor of that is really funny. Yes. <laughs> yes.
2: So I, I remember the first time that uh, I had spoken to Tom Vassell about this too. So this was early on when they actually had the, this notion. So this was all still behind the curtains, and things were still being worked out. But I think we were both of the mind that hey, we're not, sh- you know, we 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 like the idea uh, conceptually, right? We think it's 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 a fun product, but it we were both concerned that this is also a product that might not do well. Like the, it wouldn't be well received as a product at the price point that they were talking about and at the size that they were talking about. So we, we shared that, that concern. So, so when the Kickstarter actually uh, came out and, uh, just seeing the numbers, it made me realize that like, I'm, I'm very naive when it comes to what the hobby market is, is looking for, what, what types of, you know, uh, products, what, what their level of tolerance is for, you know, the price and, quantity and just sheer volume and size of the product what they're willing to tolerate
0: i think one of the things that <clears throat> i i find interesting and, and why i think that i know that in, in listening to reviews and watching reviews for the game there are people who sometimes for lack of better words ding the game for being quote unquote overproduced um but one thing that i actually appreciate about the fact that it is is that as a hobby board gameist, like I am willing or traditionally many of us are willing to spend money on complex games that have complex miniatures and any and all that stuff that we play with our other hobby board gaming friends. But the cool thing about Foundations of Rome is this is a really cool looking game that I can play with almost anyone. So it's not like we're saving like the coolest looking stuff just for those of us who are most committed to the hobby. I can have almost anyone come over Bring out Foundations of Rome, have them be like, this is awesome looking. At it, and be like, yeah, it is. And it's going to be great fun. And it totally is. Now, I don't know that I can have a ton of those games, but I think Foundations of Rome was really one of the first ones or probably the first one to be like, hey, we're going to go all, on produ- all out on production for this and you can play it with just about anyone. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate about it the most um, is that, yeah, I think it could scare some people off. But for me, it's really helped have other people be like oh wow this looks awesome and it's fun to play and i'm not intimidated now by other games that also look big and fancy like this but i don't know if you have thoughts on that but
2: (laughs) yeah i mean i'm like i said i'm i'm very very pleased with with how well it does and it's really just kind of like opened my mind and it uh it made me realize that um that there are such diverse tastes out there, right? There are people who really do like very deluxified products. And I just really underestimated like how far, you know, people were willing to pay or people really desired these types of of products. I thought it was a lot more niche uh, than, than what it appeared to, to be until we saw the Kickstarter. So,
0: Josh, this is going to be my last question, then you can go to town. Sorry, I always do this. Uh, So, my final, Emerson, one of the things that, and this is alluding a little bit to what Josh mentioned earlier, one of the things that constantly fascinates me about your games, and this isn't just a Foundations of Rome thing, this includes Reef and Century and all of those games. How, (laughs) not to give away all of your design secrets, how are you able to design such good games that all can be explained on one piece of paper? Like, I just, I don't (laughs) understand it. Like, almost every single one of your games, the explanation is, really quick like you can teach almost anyone the game in five minutes and they understand what they need to do but then the decisions that you make are really important throughout the game and the game i wouldn't say that they're heavy but they feel like all the decisions feel really meaningful how in the world are you able to do that when we have kids games that have 12 page rule books
2: <laughs> <laughs> well first of all uh, thank you I, I take that as a as a huge huge compliment i definitely strive for that but um, I don't necessarily have like a trade secret. Uh, if, there's, if there's one thing I could attribute to is that I am terrible at writing rules. I am notoriously bad. So uh, in, in my inner circles and in the industry circles, uh, people know me as a guy who writes really bad rules. I'm really, really bad at writing <laughs> rules. So I figured probably the best way for me to get around that is to make games with the fewest rules possible. So I try to make games with the fewest rules. The, the less I have to write in a rule book, the better. Generally.
0: Awesome, Josh. All yours.
1: Well, I, I want. This is a great segue. Uh, I don't want to skip, so let's. Can we just uh, put a, a bookmark in her story because I do want to talk about that? Um, but since we're on this topic, I and people are probably dying to hear about Metal Gear. Uh, as I am, uh, just going right from that rules to Metal Gear, how in the world did you tackle and uh, what does it look like that that uh, how-to-play instruction booklet for Metal Gear?
2: Oh, that's... And stuff of
1: that, what we know you to be as an uh, right, right. easy-to-learn so, game player.
2: <laughs> so Metal Gear Solid is a very very atypical of like the type of games I worked on up to up to this particular point. Um, But it is what I feel as the simplest distillation of the experience that could be had in a tabletop format. So uh, when when we play the game, you know, I went through the process of like replaying the game, watching other uh, gameplay walkthroughs. and really just uh, jotting down all the different mechanics that the video game possess, is all the programming behind the video games, I see, okay, all the little behavior points of how the the guards move and how the bosses move, how they react to things, all those things. I mean, it is a very long list of their behavior points that drives their AI. And so, you know, we had to find some way to, to capture sort of the essence of of the feeling of the video game but how do we distill that into something that is digestible so if you look at the rule books it is it is very dense it is massive compared to anything else that i've worked on so it's quite the departure for me but i do feel like we did it uh, collectively so all the teams that i've worked with including idw and simon and the brieger team i think we've done a really good job collectively so i can't take all the credit for for its development Uh, But I feel like we've done an incredible job of like taking all the dense logic and artificial intelligence and decision trees that are present in the programming of the video game characters and creating an experience on the tabletop that closely matches it with. And, you know, of course, it's a fine balancing act between increasing the complexity to be more thematic. Or you know, decreasing the complexity, but you're you're also making the experience abstract. So it's it's always that fine balance, and I feel like we've come and found the right the that cusp of the right balance between um, rules complexity to the experience that it is providing.
1: Speaking of, so I know the game is up for pre-order on Simons website right now. Um, that. When it comes with a graphic novel. Is that exclusive for the pre-order?
2: It is exclusive for the pre-order. Yes.
1: So, and you can play in that. Does that incorporate the rules into the graphic novel, like you play through it like a story, or is it just kind of a supplementary like book that you can like reference?
2: Yeah. So the the graphic novel is uh, a lot of the narrative between the uh, the actual uh, scenarios that you're going to be playing so the there is a good amount of like narrative, uh, but that's in the what's uh, if people aren't familiar with Metal Gear Solid, there's a bit of like a radio communication called the codec, and so some of the gameplay elements are actually taught through those codec conversations. so you do get a lot of like flavorful text kind of walking you through some of the rules, but the actual uh, graphic novel portions of it don't have any other rules per se.
1: okay cool cool. Uh, I'm just, yeah, I'm really excited for this. Uh, so Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> Why, well, yes. I know, <laughs> I know. And I, I missed the chance. You had the prototype when we met last at one of the like local cons here, and I didn't get a chance to play it, but it was like the buzz of the con uh, as well. And that was in the early days of it. Um, but I know that you're a Metal Gear fan, uh, and I am. I think Kyle's like a osmosis metal gear fan Gear
2: uh, rising fan right yeah, yeah which is right.
1: like such a, it's a good for you uh <laughs> <laughs> uh it's like being like a metal gear survive fan i think right uh um but i guess i did play that
0: one too that's right i did play yeah, some I of
1: that <laughs> uh post kojima Metal gear. um uh before, so i do want to ask you um video game wise the have you seen the new Metal Gear announcements? Are you excited about getting a remaster of Metal Gear Solid Snake Eater? Is there potential? You probably can't talk about that. I'm not going to get into that part. Uh, what do you think about the new Metal Gear stuff coming out? Have you seen any of that so Oh, far? I mean,
2: I'm, incredibly, I'm ex- incredibly excited for Metal Gear Solid Delta. So, uh, yeah, Metal Gear Solid 3 was one of my favorites. So, it's like when if I were to pick my favorite Metal Gear Solid games, right, like they're 1 one and 3, so basically the original Metal Gear Solid and Snake yeah. Eater were like really close to each other as my favorite ones. You know? yeah. And then you have 2 and 4, uh, well, 2 4 and Phantom Pains. So, I mean, uh, they're all really up there. Yeah. All of them are, are up there.
1: Yeah, 3 so. is my favorite as well, so yes, I'm yes. excited for now, that. Now,
2: play. Josh, you did say that you played all, so I have a question for you. You said you've played all the Metal Gear games, right?
1: Yes, except okay, for Rising. So,
2: Except for rice, okay. Does that include Metal Gear, Metal Gear Two, Solid Snake?
1: Yes. The original
2: MSX. Okay. And does have you played Ghost Babel on the Game Boy Advance?
1: You know, I just did play a Metal Gear game on the Game Boy Advance um, because I, I, legally, right, I have an emulator. I legally own the game, so I can. It's okay for me to play it. Um, (laughs) uh, And in fact, I'm actually playing. Metal Gear Solid on the Game Boy Color right now on it, which oh, is kind of God. wild uh, because it plays like Metal Gear from uh, from NES. Um, but I can't say that I'm familiar with – did you call it Bubble? What did you call it?
2: Ghost, Ghost Babble.
1: <laughs> Ghost Babble? No, I'm not familiar Ghost with that one.
2: Babble. Oh, okay, yeah.
1: So I'll that have one, I haven't
2: no had a chance to play that one. So I can't say I've played every Metal Gear Solid game either. So
1: I guess not. Huh? Ghost Babble, huh? some, I don't have to look that there's one up. Some,
2: there's, <laughs> some obscure, there's some a little bit more obscure ones too. Uh, yeah. I have played like Metal Gear Acid. Um, yeah. So I own card Acid game, right? too. But yeah, it is a card-based game. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yes. So yeah, that was a, on
1: PSP, right? Yes,
2: PSP. PSP. Yeah, I think PSP, I
1: still have my copy of it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and
2: then they they had a Peace Walker. Uh, well, yes. actually, there was also Metal Gear Portable Ops. That was that too was on PSP. I played that. Um, and then was it? Did they have Portable Ops too? I think I they I might think have. They had had did, Portable yeah.
1: Ops
2: too, yeah. Yeah. So I always I had always a hard time with the PSP versions because it didn't have the dual analogs. So it yes. was it was using the face buttons. So it was a little bit difficult to play. Uh, and then obviously there was Peace Walker as well.
1: Yes. So, so any doubters out there, they now know that Emerson <laughs> knows what he's talking about. But so, I, haven't
2: played, I haven't played them all, though. So I have to caveat that. I have not played them all. So.
1: Sure, sure. But you're, yeah, I mean, but you know about them and I'm sure you you can you could reference them if needed. But I guess that's the we'll lead to my question or our question. Uh, being this big of a fan and we talked about this last time you were on too. Um, uh, what has the experience for you been like? Uh, it's been a wild ride. Uh, even us from watching can only assume so much. But um, the last time we talked, it was with IDW. Now it is not, obviously. Um, what has it been like making a game uh, for an IP that you're a fan of? And what was that like journey like uh, kind of losing it for a little bit and really wanting to get it back Mm
2: -hmm. yeah that's a that's a great question so uh to answer the first part what is it like to work on this ip uh it is it's a dream come true like i was ecstatic when i got the opportunity to work on this so um so i'm always forever grateful to to idw for bringing this opportunity so like this would not have uh come to fruition if it weren't for idw reaching out to me so i'm always going to be grateful to idw and you know for the record like when i worked on this project with idw it was a fantastic experience everyone that i had worked with there has been phenomenal to work with the graphic designer the artist uh, the project manager the developers there you know they've all been like fantastic to work with that's why it was um it was a very sad time that you know they had uh, decided to not just cancel this project, but also to get out of the tabletop uh, industry. So it was absolutely, it was absolutely heartbreaking. So, and especially like all the people that I work with there, they were such, you know, they were, they were great to work with and I would jump on the opportunity to work with those same people again, if given the opportunity. So, um, and to answer the second part of your question, it's, you know, um, I'm sure from the outside, it was, it was quite apparent that it was very, very tumultuous. So there were quite a few ups and downs, a lots, lots of uncertainty. So, uh, and you know, there was, there was a point where like, there was a real possibility that this would never come to fruition. So, and it was, but it was something that was fighting hard to find some avenues to keep the project alive, keep the project going. And in fact, like I had even looked into, um, you know, publishing the game myself as well, if I could not get a publisher to... Uh, buy into this, then you know this is something that I was uh, very, very serious about, and I was even looking at my financials to see, uh, and I was looking at quotes in terms of how uh, the costs, what my print run size would be. So I, I went quite a, you know, quite deep in terms of the research, uh, in terms of what it would take to actually publish a game of this size, this magnitude, including the um, the costs to retain the the ip the the cost to pay and the royalties for the ip all that stuff and i i even had uh other partners that were were willing to uh work with me uh as you know not just a financial backer but also like in terms of helping with development costs helping with the production graphic design all of that stuff so uh, but thankfully, like we were able to find a, a publisher that was interested, uh, had the the capital, the backing, and the reputation, you know, to be able to put out products. Uh, because one of the the challenges is that you need to uh, give the IP holders enough confidence that you will be able to um, deliver something that does respect the IP, that uh, is going to be a product that will uh, be representative. Of like the type of quality and the type of um, uh, you know the type of vision that the IP holder has for it as well. So there there needs to be that. So so when Simon had picked this up and we were working with Simon on this, it was it was a, it was a huge relief uh, for one thing. Uh, and working with Simon has been absolutely fantastic as well. And uh, if I can give like one shout out. Uh, I have to say that simon has got some of the best developers. Uh there's one person in particular. His name is Chris Hamm. He's been a, an absolute phenomenal developer to work with. So it's been it's been absolutely fantastic. So really, really excited about it. Um, and, you know, we're I feel like we're on the home stretch now of getting yeah. this. It's been a very, very long, uh, long project timeline for Metal Gear Solid. But I'm very, very happy that it is like I can definitely see the light at the end of the tunnel that it is Going to be released soon.
1: That's awesome. While well, speaking of being fans and Kyle only having played the worst Metal Gear game, probably
0: uh, <laughs> I had a great time with it. I don't know why you're saying worst.
1: Yeah, it's like it's as Metal Gear of a game as Final Fantasy 16 is an RPG. <laughs> uh, so speaking of that, uh, uh, Kyle has a good question here, and how how big of a fan. How big of a Metal Gear Solid fan does one have to be to enjoy this board game? Like, do I am I going to have to turn like it off and on again to beat Psychomantis? Am I going to have to give someone a second player controller? Uh, is the rulebook going to tell me that we lost and there's still ten more pages left to go? Like, what are we talking here?
2: <laughs> so, how big of a Metal Gear fan do you need to be to enjoy this game? None, none at all. So, you don't need to be a fan at all because. One of the goals for this uh, product is that it will um, it will retell the whole story of the first Metal Gear Solid game. So if you've never played it, right, this is uh, and you know your, uh, let's say that your twitch reflexes because I know that when I try to replay the game, it's like ah oh, this game is a lot harder than I remember. It's because my twitch reflexes are seem to be going you know, along with my eyesight. So so if you <laughs> if you want to experience uh Metal Gear Solid like the first game uh this is this is another avenue to which you can actually experience the whole story so you don't need to be a fan. you don't need to know anything about Metal Gear Solid at all now that being said if you are a fan right there are a lot of nods to the video game a lot of references a lot of things that fans would really appreciate but it's absolutely not
0: necessary right
1: Okay, Kyle, get some Metal Gear questions in here.
0: Okay, so and this kind of relates actually back to even when we we're talking about Foundations of Rome. You talked about how your initial foray into that game was actually helping some doing some development work with another game that had already kind of they had. And now, you know, we have this idea and I'm not asking you to comment on this part, but like. There's, you know, a lawsuit now with like Arcana and how much of that information was pulled from a previous game to like make that game. And now this game, it sounds like from what you said in other interviews is, is pretty similar to the game that you had been working on previously with IDW. Like, how does all of that work in the board game world of like what as a designer are you like, yes, this is like mine. This is the company I was working for. Like, how does all of that kind of shake out and, and, and float around? Is it just because IDW went away from it so they didn't want it anymore? How does all that happen?
2: Okay, yeah, that's that's also a really, really good question. So um, I don't know all the details about the Lorcana versus Upper Deck uh, soon, um, but I think that it is, uh, in terms of like the like the parties involved and also where the design sits is quite different than the situation I had with IDW and with CMON. So when IDW decided that they were going to get out of the tabletop gaming industry, uh, then... Uh, when I reached out to them, they, uh, now contractually, I believe that they, they still were able to retain the rights to the design, but, uh, IDW was, uh, very, they were kind enough to actually, uh, send me a contract to actually release that and return that design to me. So, yeah, so this is why, like, I, I will always hold IDW to high regards because they've been, you know, very good to work with, and they've been very amicable in this particular situation. So I actually re- got the design back, and so then I was able to take that design and then bring, uh, go to other publishers to reach out to other publishers to try to uh, see if we can keep that project alive. So, but I think it's a very different case with um, with Upper Deck versus uh, Ravensburger. So I think that in, that in it, uh, there is some contracts that do hold some amount of ownership over the design whereas this one uh the design was actually released back to me in full so so yeah different different situation but uh you know i can see i can see there are some similar uh (laughs) similar uh, things that that happen
0: so (laughs) as you can answer this next question that's totally fine was there any chance that this was going to become like a sequel to specter ops in some way
2: um, actually, I know that a lot of people, when they first heard uh, that I was working on Metal Gear Solid game, that there was uh, there was a lot of speculation that it was going to be based on Spectre Ops. And while you know, I can't say that there was no influence that Spectre Ops played on the design of Metal Gear Solid, uh, but there is a little bit of cross-pollination because uh, prior to working on Metal Gear Solid, the game, I had actually dabbled with the idea of a fully cooperative uh stealth game with the Specter ops you know aesthetics and possibly being in that universe so but it was it was very infantile so it was very very embryonic at that point so when when uh idw reached out to me then i went back i was like okay well let me see what you know what did i what were some of my thoughts and some concepts that i had when it comes to making a stealth game but fully cooperative so so i can't say that there was no uh there was no cross-pollination of ideas between Spectrops, uh, but it was born from something very, very new, very, very different. So stealth works very differently in a multiplayer setting versus a uh, fully cooperative setting. Um, and the idea of, uh, I mean, I'm still really enamored with the idea of having like a Spectrops game, but completely rethemed with uh, Metal Gear Solid characters. So I would still love that as a as a potential concept but um so far you know, there's there hasn't been any traction on that yet just because like we we're just so busy on getting the base game out but you know uh, but maybe that's might be something i might look into in the into the future
0: and, and just remind me because this is so hard to keep track of is Specter ops with Plat hat still or did it stay with asmo day
2: oh uh, it's with Hat so it
0: probably. is with oh, nice. okay. yes. awesome So what when it comes to Metal Gear, and we talk about this a lot of the time with, um, you know, especially in our Discord and the other people we talk with, Josh and I are definitely like the biggest board game people. We have a lot of video game people, though. Um, is, Is Metal Gear a game that if you are just a straight up video game person, but you love Metal Gear, you're like, awesome, there's this board game, never played a hobby board game in my life. Can I sit down and play this? Like, how is that experience going to be for me?
2: Yeah, I mean, our, our hopes is that yes, you, you can you can play it, uh, so it is rules-dense um, but it's one of those cases where it's rules-dense but once you start playing it, the rhythm of the game is very, very quick uh, and it's very, very straightforward. Now the density of the rules is due to the fact that it's a very like open, it's almost like, uh, I don't want to say sandbox because I know that we have a different idea of sandbox yeah. when it comes to like in the video game context. So, but sandboxy in, in, uh, in the board game or in that tabletop space in that you have lots of freedom in what you can do, right? So the rules density really comes uh, into play in terms of like handling all the, like the different edge cases that can come about. Because the more freedom you give the players to do things, right? The more, the more times that you're going to run into these particular edge cases. So, but like 95% of the, the gameplay, you're, it's going to be very, very straightforward. Uh, and we, we walk the players. In fact, the first two scenarios of the, the campaign book is actually a tutorial. So you start off, it's, it's solo only. So you play solid snake and you go solo only, and those are there and it's, it's, um, giving you the rules little by little as you, as you play so that you can, you know, get accustomed to the rules. So in the beginning, all your work, all you're worried about is just sneaking past the guards. How does that work? right? And then later on, it tells you, like, these are how cameras work. You know, these are how uh, weapons work and things like that. This is, oh, now you've gotten items. These are how items work and so forth. So by the time you get through the first two uh, scenarios, which are tutorial missions, that's when, like, you have most of the rules that you need in order to to play. And so in, in a similar video game style, so in video games nowadays, you jump in, they teach you as you're playing, right? So we, we thought we'd take that same approach because this is a, a board game that we are trying to um, appeal to video gamers, right? This is a game that we're targeting video gamers for.
0: So since you said that this takes you basically through the first Metal Gear Solid game, mm-hmm. is it safe to assume that we're, you're already working on the second one then? Or?
2: <laughs> uh, I'm not at to say <laughs> at the moment.
0: I thought, you know, just try to slide yeah. that one in. You know, I thought I'd try um that's a good question, yeah <laughs> John, I'll have any other questions about metal gear I'll,
2: I'll have to keep you waiting on that one that's yeah like
1: yeah it. no yeah you actually you asked that as i was going to ask about potential sequels I was, that's when i was like, "Well, i can't ask that question because <laughs> i know we can't get an answer from them yet <laughs>
0: um so i kind of i've read a number of interviews you've done recently and you know obviously having this game come back after so long of you know w- knowing how passionate you were about having this game happen and then things going the way they did and getting it back like what is the one thing that like no one has asked you about that you want to talk about when it comes to this game
2: oh wow that's a that's really really good question what are some of the things um well i think you asked about um whether someone who is not a fan or doesn't know about metal gear because that's something i definitely do want to get across is that this is not just a game for fans of metal gear this is a game that i intended uh, for people who've never played Metal Gear because I felt that the story was was fantastic. I really enjoyed all the, the narrative that was in the game. Um, uh, let's see, what would be a question? Like, for instance, ask me how many uh, of the items that are in the video game appear in the board game? That would be a, that would be a really cool question.
1: Go ahead, Kyle. Ask him. No, no, Josh, do it. Do it. <laughs> hey, how many <laughs> items from the video game are in the board game? <laughs>
2: okay so a great question so <laughs> we've captured so so we went through like all of the the items that are available in the video game and so we've included every item in the video game except for just like five items i'm not going to mention which five items because maybe we might do promo items in the future but we even we <laughs> even have things like the ketchup in there
1: <laughs> hey, do i have to smoke to get to heal <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, actually, classic, when you smoke, you, gear.
1: Lose <laughs> if
2: you If you remember, if you smoke, you actually lose health.
1: Ah, oh, that's well. That's, was there a oh? Was that Metal Gear Solid Four? I'm thinking of. I feel like
2: Metal Gear Solid Four. You 4. got stamina back. You lose health. Oh, you, you got stamina back. back. That's what it is. You got that yeah, second yeah. meter back. yeah.
1: Something was always <laughs> wrong about that. <laughs>
2: yeah. Although you know what, I think you you're always encouraged to inject yourself with a nano machine, so you keep yes. seeing Snake just take that and go and just. Yeah keep injecting himself so but yes thank you that was that was a great question
0: josh anything else you want to ask about metal gear before i switch gears here
1: i see what you did there you did that's there. very clever <laughs> um yeah when can i play it with you emerson i want to play it with you oh <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, I might hopefully I will have a um a demo a, a demo set perhaps at uh hopefully maybe the next Total Con or okay. some other uh convention here in the northeast.
1: I'll find you. We'll play this together. Hey, I will ask one question. So I talked about this before you were on the first time you were on I met you at Totalcon and we had um Tested. I played. You did some play tests, and I play tested a game with you called Chiseled, which has now, since, successfully launched a Kickstarter, and now is a bonafide board game. I don't expect you to have the numbers, but can you think, um, how many board games you have play tested at a very, very early stage? that have become full-fledged board games? Did anything come to mind as like, I remember playing this game when it was just an idea right, or something right. like yeah. that?
2: Yeah, uh, actually, I mean, quite a few. Um, I was, I'm part of like the New York playtest group, plus there's a group of Long Island designers that I, they playtest with all the time. So, uh, you know, and you know, oftentimes um, there's sort of like a running joke among my, my game group. Is because oftentimes they'll bring a game and says hey have you played this and i said well i played the prototype (laughs) so that's been my answer for many many games (laughs) people ask me hey have you played this so someone brought in uh keystone north america and they asked hey have you played this i said well now i played the prototype yeah so (laughs) often often i I keep saying that so often that now it's like a running joke among my group nice it's very numerous i've I've played a lot of games that were in early stages uh, in fact, every time I go to conventions, I always make it a point to, you know, play test other people's prototypes. And um, it's it's sort of like one of the ways that I like to uh, contribute and, you know, help the community out is by helping like uh, other designers get feedback on their games and see what I can do in terms of helping them uh, get to their the next stage of their, of their designs.
1: Great. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: So speaking of which, then, that you mentioned, um, again, back to Foundations of Rome, that the game that you had originally helped with, that the folks decided to, like, not have our game published. You don't have to say what the game was, but did that game ever come out? Yes. 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 Okay. Okay. Interesting. Cool. Um, I do want to switch, you know, gears here just a little bit, again, um, because I do want to talk about her story really quick, if you're cool with that. Um, Sure. And that you know, the game released back in 2022 from Underdog, who probably is best known for publishing those tre- the trekking games that are are well loved. Um, and it looks like Nick Bentley was the lead designer, but then you and Danielle Reynolds are both listed as designers. Like, how did you get involved in this project? What was your role? Like, how, how did you kind of become part of this team to to get her story to the finish line?
2: Oh, okay, yeah. So actually, Underdog uh, um, had reached out to me asking me if I'd be interested in working with projects on them, and you know, I'm always, and they're also locally based too. So they're actually based here out on, on Long Island. And it was, our first meeting was really, really interesting because, you know, when, when I had met them, this was at Gen Con 2019, perhaps 2018, 2019. And, uh, so we, we kind of hit it off. You know, they were interested in uh, reaching out to other designers and they were looking at designers who make games that are more, Geared towards like family weight, simple sets of rules. So those were like the type of the designers that they were looking for. So they actually sought me out because of Century uh, and games like that. So so when I had met them at GenCon, you know, we hit it off. It was uh, really you know I found them very very interesting and you know the type of people that I might want to work on projects with. And when they asked where are you based, I said, oh, I'm I'm in New York. And they said, where in New York? And I said, well, I live out on Long Island. <laughs> and they said, wait. We're on Long Island. <laughs> I'm in New Hyde Park, and they're like, "Well, we're in Huntington. We're just one town over from you. We're like a 20-minute drive away from you." It. So it's <laughs> so it's really interesting that we found out that we're very local to each other. So, so since then, I've you know visited their office. Uh, in fact, I work with them on almost a biweekly basis. So I work with Nick Bentley. We you know uh, we help each other with our projects too. So we've actually developed a very good relationship where we're we're helping each other with projects. You know, he's a person I go to for like opinions and and vice versa too. So he'll ask me, hey, can you take a look at this, see see what you think? So if they have like a design and they're kind of hitting a wall with it, uh, you know, I, I tell them I'm more than happy to look at it, see if there's anything, any kind of advice I can give or any suggestions and things like that. And vice versa too, is that uh, anytime that I have a prototype that I'm working on, that i like to get some feedback on, you know, I always reach out to to Nick and company over there. So that's sort of how that relationship started and has been continuing as well. Uh, when it comes to her story, though, this is a project that they had. So this project was already underway. And uh, when it was one of those moments where they said, hey, can you take a look at this prototype? And I took a look at it and they said, well, we're struggling with this in these particular aspects. And so I said, you know, what? let me, let me, um, take a look at it, uh, write down some notes, and then I'll present something to you. So I took sort of some of those, some of the, just the core ideas, and then I presented a couple of ideas that um, they haven't explored yet. And so, but they were really enamored with those ideas. So, I mean, one of the things I can take credit for was at the end of the game, when you you flip over your uh, reference card and the cards that you've accumulated, right? Uh, so that, and then you put it together and it creates a little book because the reference card on the back is a little book cover. And then you flip that over to basically read your book. So that was one of my ideas I had contributed. So, but I only, uh, I only contributed parts of the the design. So uh, we did go through quite a few rounds of development and iteration that I had worked on with them. So, so I was just named as a co-designer or a consulting designer or something like that or a contributing designer. Uh, I'm not sure how it was accredited uh in on BGG but that's sort of that's sort of how I see my role in her story.
0: So in that situation like what's what's the difference then between like design and development in the sense of like, if you're helping with development, is it you're not really, you're refining mechanisms, but you're not adding anything new. Like where is that line between those things?
2: Yeah, it's that's, that's a great question because I think people in the video game industry and people in the board game industry have a different, very, very different definition of the word developer. So, um, so developers in the context of video, of board games is, is usually their full-time staff of the publisher okay? they would usually take a look at new designs from, um, from designers and they will, when they develop it, what they do is that they not only like take a look at the mechanics, do some balancing, but also to, um, at least this is my impression is that they also work to take that, uh, design and those elements and those mechanics, but also kind of tailor it to the publisher. So if, say, like the publishers known for making lighter games and a designer comes with, say, like a light to medium weight, so they may adjust the weight of the game to fit like the publisher. So the developer is really there as like the designer's counterpart uh, working on the publisher side to uh, make the design fit sort of like the product vision that the publisher has for it. So... That's sort of how, how I envision a developer. And so far with my interactions with different developers from different publishers, that's sort of been the case. So if more or less fits in the description, but because this industry is so varied that different publishers have like different uh, relationships with designers, So, uh, but usually I work heavily with developers when we work on a project. Awesome,
0: cool. Josh, any questions about her story or moving towards wrapping up questions because we do have a couple last things we need to talk about before we wrap up here.
1: Yeah, no, let's move towards the wrapping up questions.
0: All right. So obviously you mentioned Emerson that you've been very busy lately. We know Gen Con is right around the corner. What are your Gen Con plans? What are you going to be doing for Gen Con?
2: Oh, actually, unfortunately I won't be able to make Gen Con this year. Yeah. So it's, well, it's a, <laughs> it is, uh, it's a, it's just like a combination of family obligations and also just, you know, project obligations, project deadlines that it's just making it to where I don't think Gen Con is in the cards for this year.
0: Gotcha. Well, okay. Is there yeah. anything, any games on the horizon in addition to your own that you are, have you been able to keep up with what's coming out? Like what the hot things are, anything you are interested in or, or, you know, anticipating hearing about more soon?
2: Oh, actually, I've been <laughs> I've been living under a rock for for a bit just because I we've we've just been having these very very brutal long work days. Uh, I've been working. I have um, about five projects on the on the front burners at the moment. So, and one of which is you know taking up a significant amount of amount of that time. So it's been uh, I just haven't been able to um, you know just. Research games, watch reviews, which is something I typically do, so you know each each day I always like watch a review or two about board games I'm interested in uh every weekend, you know have you know play some games with my game group, so but lately, I just have not been able to to do that, so I've been very out of touch with all the new releases, the new hotness, so I'm not sure what's out there at this right now,
0: so okay, so you said five games, so let's let's run through here what we can <laughs> see what we can figure out, so obviously. <laughs> We have Metal Gear Solid coming from CMON, which people can yeah. pre-order now, correct?
2: That's correct, yes.
0: And releasing, is next it May year. next year?
2: It's May next year is what what's on the timetable.
0: Awesome, okay. <laughs> so then we have Persona coming from, Panda. a Persona 5 card game coming from Pandasaurus in October, yes. correct? Yes,
2: yes, that's correct. Although um, that because we have um, quite a few uh, um things going back and forth with the licensor right there there might be a little bit of a delay there but you know it is it is something that it is uh on my front burner for sure
0: gotcha anything you could tell us about that game
2: oh it's it is a uh it is a card game for one to four players and it is fully cooperative and again i'm i'm always a big fan of card games that kind of like retail like uh encapsulate the narrative from the video games because Persona 5 also has a great narrative uh, as part of the the gameplay so we strive to do that as well so so with Persona 5 you you do get to like it's it's very much like an RPG-esque style game where you're you're uh, building up your characters getting new abilities Uh, but one of the interesting facets of Persona for those who haven't played it is that it is both a jrpg but it's also kind of like a life simulator as well like you you make friends uh you know you can have romantic relationships you can do part-time jobs you can earn money uh but the interesting aspect is as you're doing those things you're leveling up and you're making yourself stronger for the jrpg side of the game where you're fighting against uh it's like all of like the monsters and things like that are based on like jungian psychology which is like your your egos your shadows and your personas and stuff like that so it's it's really hard to, unless you play the game it's really hard to describe it without sounding like a madman <laughs> uh it's definitely a game i absolutely recommend playing it, it, if you if you guys have not played persona uh persona 5 royal yet i definitely recommend playing it was it was a game that it took me about. I remember like forty hours into it, I was thinking to myself, "Now this game's not for me because the as the protagonist, you're a high school kid, so it felt like this was a game that is the demographic for the game. I'm obviously I've you know, I'm way too old to be in this demographic, but as I as I played it more and more, I mean it was it was such an endearing experience, uh, and by the eighty hour mark, I was like, oh, "Okay, I'm hooked. I am." I'm absolutely loving the story, the gameplay, uh, everything about this. So I, I highly recommend it. It is it is long though. It is very very long, but if you can make it to the end, it is it is incredibly incredibly
0: rewarding. Um, okay, it's so a poor it,
1: game for Kyle. That's right. <laughs> I am a big Persona. 5. I'm a big Persona <laughs> fan. I like
0: Persona Five quite a bit. Uh, so you're playing just so you are playing both like as like the Phantom Thieves like. In there, going into the dungeon and going after that, but you're also playing as them during the day, like doing the friendship stuff and the school stuff and all of that stuff.
2: Yes, well, that's that is our goal is to be able to capture both aspects of it. So, so there is a so half the game is uh, about going into the metaverse, and then the other half of the game is sort of like the life simulator. So, and then one of the interesting decisions is that you have a limited amount of time, just like in the video game. So, let's say if you have two weeks of time. Each day, you have to decide what you're going to do. So, time is your biggest limited resource in the game.
0: Awesome. Man, okay, I'm stoked about this. And if it's a little later than October, that is totally fine. Okay, (laughs) so that's, okay, so we got those. So, then we have a Halloween game with Trick or Treat Studios. That's uh, according to Board Game Geek this year. Is that still the plan?
2: Yes, yes. In fact, uh, we should be uh, coming out fairly soon. Uh, Obviously, we want it to come out before October 31st so i believe it is going to be coming out very very soon and this is one I'm, I'm particularly proud of because it is um also in the same vein of trying to make a more simple game this is a game that we've you know we it was a very audience first game so we actually talked to people who were halloween fans to try to get an idea of what kind of a game that they're looking for and i think we've created like an experience that we, you know that i think that is going to be really engaging for people even if you've never played board games too it will you know we do anticipate this being like uh a gateway game that'll bring people who are, are say like halloween fans uh into the board game world by you know allowing them to play a game where they can actually be and this is a one versus mini game so in a way this is probably more mm-hmm. similar to spectrops than um than uh middle gear solid is
1: is so it hidden right. movement
2: it is hidden movement yes
1: uh, you know Always, you always come through for me. I'm, I'm such a big horror fan, and Kyle and I have so many conversations about how is there not like a Predator hidden movement game? How are we not getting these horror board games it's, it's uh, that, that aren't just space themes? Because like, yeah. a lot of it's like you're at an outpost in space. And right, it's right. like implied horror. But I'm very yeah. excited to to see more about this board game because you involved, and I love horror movies, that seems like it's going to be great.
2: Yeah, if you uh, if you in or if you've played Spectrops, uh, I think the most accurate way I can describe it is it's a reverse Spectrops. So okay. Whereas in Spectrops, the the um, the non-hidden players are the ones uh, hunting the hidden player. So this is actually the reverse. The hidden player is actually hunting everyone else.
1: Okay, that's uh, exciting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So then we also have Century Golden Deals, Mm -hmm. which is next year from Plan B, continuing the Century series, it sounds like. Yes?
2: Oh, actually, it is an expansion to uh, Spice Road. Oh, And by extension, by adding an expansion to Spice Road, then it could be used for uh, Eastern Wonders and a New World, right? Because you can combine those. Yeah. Yeah, Genius. Okay, so
0: it's not a standalone (laughs) play by itself. It is an expansion.
2: It is an expansion. Correct.
0: Correct. Uh, is it going to be golemized? <laughs> probably, probably yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So every
2: every time that we come up with something for Century, like that, that's always the the question. Um, I do unfortunately, I don't have the answer to that. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, you know, part of me would like to say that that it is, but uh, honestly, I don't have. I, I don't know what the the actual plans are
0: for it. No. So. That's okay. I just I just have Golem Edition for all of them. So that's just Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so that's four things ever. You said five.
2: Yeah, I I do have a few things that uh unfortunately I can't I can't um talk about them just yet though. Just yet. But I think the announcements for them hopefully will be coming out soon.
0: Um so, so, so. I noticed though that yeah. you know you have Metal Gear, we have Persona, we have Halloween.
2: Mm-hmm
0: are you enjoying this opportunity to work with existing IP? Like, are you wanting to do more of like, you know, either IP you've previously worked on or created with like Century? New stuff, like kind of where are you as far as design goes right now?
2: Oh, okay. Actually, IPs, I really do enjoy working on IPs, uh, especially like ones that I'm, I'm fans of. So, and in fact, like I, my general motto has been that, like in order to make a good game, uh, you have to be a fan of the IP. Like you really need to enjoy it to understand the fan's perspective, because the audience for this are going to be fans of uh, the IP. So I always want to make sure that I can always put myself in the shoes of a fan to like understand the appeal and also what their expectations are when it comes to if they see this product. What what are they expecting it to be, right? And once you once you have a grasp of those expectations, then you try to meet those expectations or exceed them. So, but yeah, um, so the other two projects that I'm that are also on the front burner are also uh, IP-related projects as well. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, let the hypothesizing begin. Josh, other <laughs> questions from you, and do you want to ask Sleepy Gamer's question as well, please?
1: Yeah, we get a question from our Discord. I'll get that. I'll fire that out. Sleepy Sleepy Gamer from our Discord uh, asks, uh, as a game creator. What are some games that just wowed you and made you wonder if you could have come up with that uh, and how would you do it differently?
2: Oh, gosh, that's that happens a lot. Actually, (laughs) that happens absolutely multiple, multiple times, because every time I play a a new game and it's, yeah, it's really, really good. It it grabs me. I always think, gosh, this is this is such a great game um i wish i made it you know but <laughs> i say that about just about every every game that i enjoy so uh, i think my most recent one that i said that out loud was with uh, dune imperium huh? so after i played that i was like wow this is really really good i wish i made this so but definitely not, it's definitely not the um the style of game that i typically make but it is but because it's so good it's like it it gives me inspiration to like make games in that particular space, like more of like the medium to heavy style games. So, you know, maybe one of these days I'll I'll start designing in that space as well.
1: Sure. I mean, you're doing persona and Halloween. I think you've, in metal gear, you've really strayed from a century. (laughs) (laughs) So you can do anything. Uh, awesome. Great. Uh, I think I mean I could ask you medical questions all day, but we also want to respect your time. So <laughs> I think we should we can move forward, Mister Kyle.
0: Awesome. Well, we will towards move towards wrapping the show up. Then, obviously, this is a gaming podcast, but we do want to give one other recommendation, suggestion, or thing we're currently into that's helping us live a well-rounded life. Uh, Emerson, as the guest, you get the choice. Would you like to give a suggestion first, or would you like Josh and I to go so that you can think of something?
2: Oh, absolutely. You got you folks can go first.
0: Uh, okay.
2: I i need more time
0: <laughs> okay that sounds like a plan i will go first then and then um so my recommendation this uh month i guess is the tour de france so it actually just ended today when when we're recording this um uh, but i am a big fan of the tour um and actually all three of the grand tours in professional cycling uh this year's tour de france wasn't particularly close like the, the first two weeks of racing were great and then there was you know the toddy Pert- pagacha who finished in second place had a couple bad days in a row um and then the gap between first and second end up being like the second biggest in the last 20 years. But outside of that, the tour is just a really interesting, unique th- sport and a lot of times when people aren't into professional cycling they think of it as a very individualized sport and it's not it's very team focused um and it is something that even if you're not really into the idea of like riding your bicycle i think watching the way these teams function in the grand tours um and seeing just the commitment and the work and that they put in and and people who just like their whole job is to like sacrifice themselves for the good of their like gc contender who could potentially win the race um and their whole job is to like break wind like and for you know x number of kilometers and just exhaust themselves and then fall off the back and finish th- you know total like time like four hours later than the winner right like just a really interesting like look at sports that we don't i often see where the job of most of the people on the team is to not in a way not be successful like their whole job is to sacrifice their own placing and success for someone else um but on Netflix, there's a show called Tour de France Unchained. It followed last year's tour. They also filmed a new one for this year. So roughly a year from now, there will be one covering this year's tour. Um, it's not going to show you the whole Tour de France, but it is going to look at specific stories within the tour that are really interesting. Um, so definitely something to check out if you want to. But check out the t- professional cycling is so interesting. And if, if you want to give it a whirl, I recommend it. So that's my recommendation. Okay. Jo- Josh, what is your recommendation, sir?
1: hey i mean it sounds silly to tell everyone you should take a vacation right uh (laughs) especially in these times um but i mean you gotta take care of yourself too uh my vacation was with close family a lot of family not a lot of family a good amount of family uh i haven't worn socks or sleeves all week kyle for eight straight days no socks (laughs) no sleeves that was a very important decision I made for my vacation. I knew that that was going to make me happy, uh, and it has made me happy. Um, so, if you can get a vacation, if you can get a beach vacation with the weather I had this week, that's that's my number one recommendation. But you can't, no one, you can't promise that. Um, spend some time to yourself. Take a walk on the beach. Take a walk somewhere. We talk about this. Take a walk just to clear your head, but. Um, If you can get some time away from what work is and has become for a lot of people, uh, just, you know, do it. Even if you got to sacrifice some time uh, to make it happen or work extra hours, uh, whatever it might be. But I got to go back to work tomorrow and I know I'm going to have like 700 emails. So I'm not looking forward to that, but it was worth it. So take a vacation. Go fly a kite if you will, right, Kyle? <laughs> That's
0: right. I'm I'm looking forward to our trip to Disney World in September. So All right, Emerson. What is your recommendation?
2: <laughs> oh, okay. So um I put down uh learning a language actually. So it is something that um I'm not I'm trying to um I guess like refluent myself uh back into japanese to try to be able. so one of the things i'd like to do is to go to like the tokyo game market next year so uh, i think it was it's a it's a good idea for me to kind of like brush up on it but um but not just that like uh, there was a time that i was learning a bit of french because i was working with plan b and i noticed that there's a lot of companies that are based out in france or in uh, canada uh, the quebec side of canada so and I found, you know, when, when you mentioned will, living a, a well-rounded life, I think that uh, languages can really, like, broaden your horizons, uh, not just in, like, the ability to communicate, but I think there is a lot of culture that's, like, really embedded into the language. And by learning the language, even even um, not necessarily getting to, like, a fluent level, but just learning how words and how expressions and how people express themselves in that particular language does uh give you like insight into like the culture behind uh the speakers of those languages Uh, i know that there's a lot of stuff embedded in japanese language that is very reflective of its its culture so so i definitely that's one of the things that i would recommend for a more well-rounded life
0: awesome great recommendation that is a great recommendation before we go emerson you know where can people keep up with you is there anything you'd like to plug what do you want to give us final reminders before we wrap things up for good
2: oh my goodness yeah i am i am not an easy uh entity to uh get up to date on because i am uh, i am terrible at social media uh i think the best thing i have is a twitter handle which is at nasca games but uh and I, I use as uh, games at gmail.com as sort of like my uh, go-to for, for contacting me. So, But other than that, uh, because if things have just been so busy, I've just been a very hard person to get a hold of just because I've been living under a rock, um, just trying to get as much work done as I can.
0: All right, well hey, thanks so much for your time tonight, Emerson. Obviously, like you said, we know you're really busy, so we do really appreciate it. uh Josh, what do you say we wrap this show up then so Emerson can get back to hopefully not work, hopefully to like better something
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. uh thanks for joining us, everyone. in addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at board with Fiji, you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash board with Fiji so feel free to give us a five star rating over there also, if you're not feeling the social media, as some of us aren't these days, who could blame you, please email us at boardwithvg at gmail.com. And we tag our stuff with hashtag boardwithvg whenever we post. So please feel free to use that hashtag as well so we can find what you're up to. And whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is whether you're downloading us from the Dice Tower Network feed or our very own standalone board with video games feed. Uh, you can find me in all the things at Serious. That's S-I-R-R-I-U-S. Uh, I'm on threads. If you want to follow me on threads, <laughs> uh, I'm at my Instagram handle, uh, baloney underscore you can, If you could spell it, we can be friends. Uh, otherwise, uh, Kyle, fill them in on where they can find you.
0: So you can find me on all the usual places for now. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at Psycho Cross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. Uh, again, a huge thank you to Emerson Matsuuchi for being here. We really appreciate the time. Um, as always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we do want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming. Josh, sounds like Rost. I just wanted to uh, send you a little message. I believe you've known each other for quite some time, but you've never met in person. Well, as an outsider, I understand that. But keep training, keep focused on each other, have each other's backs, and keep broadcasting that podcast. You're doing God's work. All right, guys.
2: Take care of yourselves. Best of luck. Rost.